And now we continue our study in God's 10 law words with the fourth commandment, understanding that these are the ways that we order our lives rightly before God in response to the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ, not to earn his love or to merit his favor, but out of worship. And so these are the things we do. And here the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it, you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let's give thanks together. Father, we thank you for your law. It is perfect. We rejoice in it. We rejoice in all of your statutes, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would be empowered to obey, to obey out of love. So now uh, bring to mind the ways that we must apply this law. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. People of God, if you want to know what a society values, you look at not only how they use their time, but how they order their time. How do they count their days and years and mark the passage of time? What do they celebrate? How do they understand time? Whenever in history there's been a revolutionary effort to remove every trace of the the impact of the Lord Jesus Christ upon that culture, whenever there's been an effort to remove the influence of the church, There has always been an attack on the calendar, especially on the seven-day week, which has been ordered by God since creation. Isn't it funny that everybody in the modern world, everybody everywhere follows the seven-day week? We all have, you know, Monday through Saturday and and then Sunday. Everyone everywhere seems to think of this as a day of rest, but why? Does anybody ever stop and wonder, where do we, where do we get this? Why do we do this? Well, at various times throughout history, Uh, revolutionaries knew where that came from and set about to attack it. Uh, They they tried it in the French Revolution. They established 10-day weeks with a rest every 10th day. And there were three weeks to a month, 12 months to a year, and they scattered a few extra days in the calendar to line up their annual calendar with the sun. But they knew that if we're going to reorder society, we must reorder the week, we must reorder time, and that means we must take apart the seven-day week and institute something else. In 1929, the Soviets divided the year into 72 five-day weeks, and all five days were work days with one national holiday per month, and there were nine months to the year. Then the days of the week were color-coded to allow people time off on a schedule. So there were green days and red days and yellow days and blue days, and if you're assigned a green day, and then now that that's your day to stay home. And if your spouse is red, uh, they get a different day off uh, depending on their vocation or what what they're doing. So the system had had the added bonus of not only ignoring and disrupting God's seven day creation week, but but also this this extra little icing on the cake of destroying the family as well. Because under totalitarian governments, the sphere of the family has no authority. The family has no autonomy. The family exists to serve the state. And so the state says to the family, you'll rest and you'll be together when we say that you can be together. 
And so whether the French revolutionary system or the Soviet system, whichever calendar we follow, there is no Lord's Day. There is no time to stop and consider the lordship of Jesus over our days and weeks and months and years. In those systems, our days and our time, our days aren't shaped by worship and festivity. We're not driving toward worship every work week. We aren't driving to festivity as we move through the days and weeks. Our time is shaped by work only, which work is important, but it's not the only thing. Today in our culture, we have a much softer hegemony over, uh, over time. We have a softer version with uh, institutional expectation that everyone and everything be available all the time, which pushes both family and the church way down the list of priorities. Some of you have experienced this at work. You can leave the office, you can go home, but you're never really off of work, are you? You have to answer emails at 11 o'clock at night. And you have to take phone calls on Saturday morning and Sunday evening, or else you really aren't a dedicated employee. You really aren't a team player. There's this expectation also that children's time is a commodity that can be exploited by whoever demands it. Schools assign heavy loads of homework uh, for the evenings and weekends. They schedule big tests on Monday, so Sunday is just as stressful as any other day of the week. Sunday night is stressful, getting ready for that. Uh, big big science projects assigned on Monday morning, which what's mom doing on Saturday night or Sunday night? Mom's doing the project, right? Youth sports leagues schedule baseball games and soccer, soccer practice on Sunday morning. This may be a more subtle and softer disruption of the calendar, but it's just as effective as what the French tried to do and, and what the Soviets tried to do. It's just as effective in all of these ways of pulling the family away from each other and away from worship. Now, in our society, in our culture, we still have a seven-day week for now, and there's still some hangover of Christendom in our society, but for how long? We have to ask that question. How long can we go with only a wink to God's creation order before someone presents a way more efficient way of dividing up our, our time, of removing any kind of regular rest and worship pattern to our calendar? I know that there's somebody right now somewhere banging on a, on a keyboard explaining why the seven-day week is racist. I know that there's somebody right now doing that. But with all things, it's the duty of the church to lead the way, to show the world how it's done. If these things don't matter to us, they won't matter to anybody else. If this stuff isn't in your bones and in your DNA and part of who you are, it's not going to matter to the culture. And it's going to be God one day. And we'll wonder, oh, how did we get here? How did this happen? Well, it didn't matter to the church. And if it doesn't matter to the church, then it's not going to matter to the culture. It is up to the church to lead the way, to show the world what it's like to be truly human. To, to bear God's image. So we first, the church, must recover God's order for our lives as commanded in God's law. And so today we're going to look at the uh, fourth commandment. We're going to see God's statement at the top. And then, and then the Lord gives an expansion on that commandment. And then he gives a rationale. So we'll look at his statement, his expansion, his rationale. And then quickly we'll move to apply the fourth commandment. We'll apply the fourth law to the new covenant, to our lives in the new covenant, through work, worship, rest, and recreation. That's, that's the outline we'll follow. And I know one of the first questions you have is, wait a minute, how do we apply the fourth commandment 
If the Sabbath under the old covenant was Saturday, if it was the seventh day, and now we're worshiping on Sunday, how do we make that transition? Hang on, we'll get there right at the very end or right toward the end, and I won't forget that. We will we will cover that, and we'll spend just a few minutes on that. So first to the text, there's the statement of the command. There's an expansion on it and then a rationale. The basic command of the, for, the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The the command remember means to memorialize something, and it particularly refers to, it specifically refers to God's own practice of setting up memorials for himself. After the flood, God established the rainbow primarily as a memorial for himself. He says, God says, when I see the rainbow, I will remember my covenant between me and you. We look at the rainbow and we say, oh yeah, I remember God's promises. But remember, God set that up as a memorial for himself. He says, I will remember. In Revelation chapter four, we see the rainbow encircling God's throne. So whichever way God looks, he looks through the rainbow. He looks at the world through his promises. He views the entire cosmos through his own covenant because the rainbow encircles his throne. Uh, so throughout the Bible, a memorial is something that brings the covenant to the mind of God. God, God isn't forgetful. He doesn't have to tie a string around his finger. He doesn't have to put a sticky note on his mirror the way we do. That's not, that's not the sense in which God is remembering. Rather, his memorials are set up in such a way that, that he, he has determined that he's going to view his people through the memorials of his own promises another memorial in the Bible. The Old Testament sacrifices were all memorials of the coming Messiah, effective because they set before the Father the promise of the coming Messiah, of the Son's future redemption, the Lord's Supper, which we'll, uh, which we'll enjoy shortly. The Lord's Supper is a memorial in the same way. When we sit down with bread and wine in the presence of God, he remembers his covenant promises to be a God to us and to our children forever. So when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's using the same, he's using the same concept there. It's the same term. Memorialize the sacrifice of Jesus and set that before you and, and to put that as a reminder, both before you and God, of the promises of God to save those who are united to Jesus, to view us through the sacrifice of Jesus. So, so the word remember in the fourth commandment brings, brings to bear all of this language in the Bible about memorials and, and the purpose and the function of memorials. It has to do with God's covenant with us. And so that implies that what happens on the Sabbath is going to be a refreshing and a renewal of God's covenant with us. Remember the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? Sabbath just means cease or stop. Sabbath doesn't mean seventh. It's the, it's the word for stop. Shabbat is stop. And what do you stop on the, on the Sabbath? You stop labor. You stop your kingly work. You stop your calling, your vocation. It doesn't mean you stop everything that takes any effort. Your, your principal work in the world is what you cease, what you rest from on the Lord's day. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How do you keep it? How do you keep it holy? How do you set it apart? But by worship, 
In Leviticus 23, we read that every Sabbath is a convocation. Every Sabbath is a gathering for worship where we meet with God to talk to him and he talks to us. So it's not simply a day of rest. It's not simply a day where you can do whatever you please. Somehow we get the idea in our culture that the Sabbath primarily means taking a break. So you can keep the Sabbath by going to the beach or you can keep the Sabbath by going to the mountains or you can be on the lake. But that's not it. You keep the Sabbath holy by communing with God and his people. The Sabbath is a, is a feast. And, and in the Old Covenant, there were many Sabbath feasts. There was Passover and there was the Feast of, of uh, Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. There were all these feasts. Uh, and, and the Sabbaths were always um, pointing both to God's promises, his mighty acts in history, and they were days of worship. They were days of gathering and feasting and worship. So that's the statement. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Then God expands on it. He says, as a way of expansion, as a way of explanation, six days you shall labor and do all your work. The word labor there, as I just pointed out, is not anything that makes you sweat. It's not anything that uh, makes takes effort. The word labor is for the work you use, uh, I'm sorry, the work you do for someone else. That's service to a master, service to a king. It's the word used for the work of the angels who always labor under the call and command of God. We labor throughout the week to serve masters, whether it's our corporation or our boss or our manager or whether it's our customers. We, we serve our, our customers, whoever we're working for. Uh, notice, by the way, that the first five commandments, the first table of the law, is all about vertical relationships. We just read three commandments that are all about idolatry, not replacing the name of God, not replacing the glory of God with something else, not replacing the image of God with something else. And, and uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and the fifth commandment of honor father and mother. This all has to do with uh, the hierarchies that God has placed in the world. This all has to do with vertical relationships. Uh, vertical relationships. The second five commandments all have to do with loving your neighbor. Those all have to do with horizontal relationships. So this fourth commandment has to do primarily, the word labor in this commandment has to do with the work we do for our master, our boss. Whatever your primary work is in the world and also has uh, relation to those who work for you. So if there is someone who labors for you, if there's someone uh, that, that you're in charge of, you're responsible for giving them rest as well. You have six days to get all of your kingly labor in, all of your, all of your vocation, all of your calling. You have six days to do that, but the seventh day is a day to cease before the face of Yahweh your God. God is the master of the house, and he calls everyone in the house to stop their primary work. And when the master ceases, then everyone in the house ceases. And he says, you don't do any work. Not your son, not your daughter, not your male servant, not your female servant, not your cattle, not your stranger in your gates. They all stop, and they all don't work. They all cease their, their labors. Who does he leave out of that list? Well, he leaves out your wife. Why is that? Well, because she doesn't get a day off, right? And the Lord knows this, and we all know that mom never gets a day off. I hope you're laughing. Can I hear you laughing? Is that, that, cause that was meant to be funny. Um, no, she's not named here. Um, and we'll, we'll circle back to this when we get to the 10th commandment. She's not named here because she's over your house. She's not a part of your house. She's over your house. The husband is the head of his wife and those two are one flesh and they both are over the house. And so it's her responsibility to give rest to the house as well, both to take rest and to, and to give rest. 
The emphasis here then is on the giving of rest. Rest is given by masters to their servants. The thrust of the commandment is not to grasp rest or to take rest or to demand rest. The thrust of the commandment is to give rest. The, the most responsibility, the, the main responsibility for obedience to the fourth commandment rests squarely on the shoulders of those in authority. It is to those in authority that the commandment comes to give rest to those in your house, those who are your servants, those who are carrying out duties for you. God's people are often put into positions in the Bible where they're not, they're not given rest. Like when Joseph goes to Egypt or Daniel and the three Hebrew children go to, to Babylon. When they get in these situations, they're slaves in these kingdoms and they can't demand rest and they aren't expected to demand rest. There are lines that they draw. Joseph will not commit adultery with Potiphar's wife. The Hebrew children will not kneel down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar sets up. There are lines that they draw that they will not cross and they say, we will obey God rather than man. But nowhere do they demand to take a day off. Nowhere do they require or insist upon taking rest. Why is that? It's because rest is given. Rest is not demanded. You get to the New Testament era where between 30 and 40% of the Roman world was enslaved. 30 or 40% of the, of the population were slaves, which means that at least 30 to 40% of the churches uh, were, were slaves. And Paul doesn't write to them and say, you know, slaves, you really need to demand Sunday. You really mean, you need to take the day off work no matter, no matter what. And if you don't take the day off work, you're excommunicated. Paul never writes that letter to them. He never, he never communicates that because it's up to those in authority to give rest, not for those under authority to demand it, to insist upon it. That's because rest is given, not taken. And in our context today, the commandment is more for employers than employees. So if you have to work for a company that requires you to work on Sunday to feed your family, you're not necessarily breaking the fourth commandment if, if you've exhausted all of your opportunities and if you're doing work that has to be done on Sunday, uh, you're not necessarily breaking the fourth commandment, especially if you're doing work that gives rest. This is the principle here throughout this commandment. The, the principle is the giving of rest. And so if you're working in a hospital, you're giving rest to the sick and to the hurting. If you are running an inn or a hotel, I can't imagine a Christian innkeeper would have to kick everybody out on Saturday morning and say, good luck, I'll see you Monday morning and invite everybody back in Monday morning. No, an, a Christian innkeeper is giving rest on the Lord's Day by providing people a place to stay. I'm thankful and I pray that there are good Christian men and women working perhaps in the power company today, making sure that we have electricity. If they weren't, uh, we would be slightly more uncomfortable than we are right now um, than uh, w without electricity. There are, there are vocations and there are callings that give rest. And that is the, that is the principle of the Sabbath. So maybe you're, um, maybe you're working in a, in a job where uh, you're, you're expected to do things on Sunday. You're, you're expected to work. Maybe you appeal and ask to have Sunday morning off so that you can worship. But the commandment is addressed to authorities and it's up to them to give rest so that we all can rest 
from our works and we can rest in God's works on our behalf. That is, that is what we do today. We rest in God's work. So they have the, we have the statement, we have the expansion, and then the rationale. Here's the rationale. Here's why we do this. And this is why the Lord says, this is why we do this. Because God made the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. In creation, God established a pattern for human work, for ordering and creating culture. God could have created the world in complete maturity with the snap of a finger. In a snap, he could have made a complete mature earth with cities and spaceships and art and opera and professional wrestling and pizza and beer and country music in just one thousandth of a second. He could have done that all if he wanted to. He could have just spoken it into existence. Or he could have taken a million billion years to create the earth. He could have done that too. But he doesn't do either of those things. He does things, God does things in a particular order in the space of seven days so that mankind can come as stewards and step up and follow his pattern. So God works six days and he rests one. He could have worked six milliseconds and rested on the seventh millisecond. He could have worked six bazillion years and rested on the seven bazillionth year. But God's law, God's word says he worked six days and he rested on the seventh. And he does that as a pattern, as a foundation for our work. And so the rationale that he gives is this is how I work and this is how I want you to work. We pray every Lord's day, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if we want the world to work the way things work in heaven, we follow God's patterns, his, his creational order that he is embedded in us. We keep those patterns and we, and we follow them. That's the only way to flourish. That's the only way for success and blessing. Now, so, so there's the statement, there's the expansion, there's the rationale. And now let's consider four facets of keeping the covenant, uh, keeping the Sabbath in the new covenant. Worship, uh, I'm sorry, work, worship, rest, and recreation. First, the call to work is embedded in the fourth commandment. You can't Sabbath if you never work. You can't get a break if you've never done any labor. Your whole life is a break. Your whole life is a vacation. Our work in the world is one of our primary purposes for, for being here. God put Adam into the garden pre-fall and gave him work to do, to dress and keep the garden and to take care of the woman that he put in the garden. This is before the fall, Adam had work to do. And then Jesus comes as the second Adam and he prays to the father and he says in John's gospel, I have brought you glory on earth by doing the work you sent me to do. The first Adam does work, the second Adam does work. We are called to take up a vocation, to take up a calling and do it faithfully. Second Thessalonians 3 Paul writes, if a man will not work, neither will he eat. Work in quietness, Paul says, and eat your own bread. We work because we're made in the image of God and he works. The beginning of creation, the beginning of, of, the, of, of, of his word, the beginning of the Bible starts with an account of God's works on the cosmos, shaping and forming and pulling things apart and putting them back together in new ways. That is a model for our work and a pattern for our lives. And so you can never truly Sabbath if you never really work. You are not fully reflecting the image of God apart from faithful labor. 
And so you must teach your children also the importance of finding and keeping and doing good work, of being faithful in work through hardships, through difficulties, uh, through the through the crazy things that are presented to you when when you work. We want our children to be people who eat their own bread in quietness, to work and labor for themselves. There's lessons that you can only learn in work. Um, so it's our main work in the world that we rest from on the Sabbath. There are arguments, and there have been arguments throughout the Reformed world and throughout Christendom about whether you can play games on the Sabbath and whether you can mow the grass on the Lord's Day. And, and I think all those are missing the point because the, the primary thing we rest from is our main labor in the world. If you're a student, your main labor in the world is to study. If you're a stay-at-home mother, your main work in the world is to uh, uh, love and raise and take care of the house and take care of your children and love your husband. These are these are our callings. If if uh, where, wherever you are you are in life, you have a vocation and you have a calling and you have a duty. So we all we all create for six days, and then on the Sabbath we enjoy the fruits of our labors. We give rest as much as we receive rest. The, this day is a day to enter into rest by entering into creation, not retreating from creation, but entering into it and enjoying it. Our six days are spent in creative work, and that sets us up for our seventh day of rest in creation, feasting on the fruits of our labor. So we keep this commandment with a proper emphasis on work. That's the first thing. And secondly, worship. In the new covenant and in the old covenant, what hallows the day, what makes it holy is worship. But there have been changes in worship between the old covenant and the new. Jesus has transformed all of the law. And the fourth commandment in particular is not repeated with the same emphasis as the other laws because of the changes that have been made with regard to worship and the calendar in the in the new covenant. The resurrection of Jesus transformed the world. We are in a new creation. We are in a new order. The, the only real revolution with regards to time didn't happen with the French and it didn't happen with the Soviets. The only real lasting revolution of the calendar happened with Jesus. This is how it works. Under the old world, under the old covenant, you work six days and the last day, the Sabbath, was a day of worship and rest. But after Jesus inaugurated a new heavens and a new earth on the day of his resurrection, now the first day is the day of, of rest and worship. The first day is the day of rest. We, we start our week in his rest and we move out to work. It's a very different emphasis. Under the old covenant, they were laboring toward the rest at the end of the week. In the new covenant, we begin in rest. We begin in the light of the resurrection, in the light of, of all the work of Jesus. We begin in his rest and then we go out to do our work. It's a very different emphasis. It's a very different way of ordering our week. But the transition of the Christian Holy Day from Saturday to Sunday happened while the Bible was still being written. While the Bible was still being written, they're meeting on the first day of the week because of the importance of the resurrection. They memorialized the day of the resurrection and made that the new covenant day of, of rest and worship. Every Sunday is Easter in that respect. So now because of the day of the Lord has changed to the first day of the week, it really is impossible to keep the fourth commandment as it was originally given to Moses and to, and to Israel. Jesus transformed the law so that there's a new way of keeping all of the laws, and we've seen that throughout all of them. 
But you can't keep the fourth commandment the way that Moses did. First of all, because the Christian day of worship is Sunday and not Saturday. But in addition to that, in addition to the weekly Sabbath, all of Israel's holy days and all of Israel's feast days were Sabbaths. There, there were 80 days on the calendar that were called Sabbath in the Old Covenant, many of which required a temple and they required, required an altar and they required a high priest and they required animal sacrifices to keep. So keeping the, the Sabbath the way that Israel did would require a temple and an altar and a priest and animal sacrifices, which were all signs and shadows which pointed forward to Jesus. And if we were to try to keep all of those days, it wouldn't mean anything today. They wouldn't do anything. We have a new calendar in the new heavens and new earth in the world after the resurrection. So the old covenant Sabbath has been replaced by the new covenant Lord's Day, the day of the Lord, which the prophets all speak about. The day when, the, when God draws near to inspect and judge and deliver and to meet with his people. When God draws near to evaluate his creation, all of this happens in properly ordered worship. When the church gathers physically to come into worship on the weekly uh, Lord's Day, that, that is the day of the Lord. That's the day that's made holy by worship. And whatever else you do, whatever else you do, worship is primary in keeping the fourth commandment. It is the first and foremost obligation of the Christian Sabbath to worship. The primary concern isn't leisure. It's not naps. You have a weekly appointment to worship. And now flowing out of that, we also have a new calendar of, of, of feast days all centered around the life of Jesus, Easter and Christmas and Good Friday and other the other ones that we acknowledge. And that brings us to the third facet of Sabbath keeping. Rest is still a component. So there is work, there is worship, but there's also rest. Again, the principle is giving rest. So if you're someone in a position of authority, you keep the fourth commandment by doing everything you can to give rest to those under you. Husbands, give your families a break. Give your wives a break. If you're an employee or a manager, make every effort to give your people a day off. Don't pester them on Sundays. Leave it till Monday morning. If you're in a field that must be available on Sunday and you have to be open, if you are working in a pharmacy or a hotel or a restaurant, you give people another day off and you make sure that the same people are always working on Sunday. If you're a teacher, maybe you don't assign the big project for Monday morning and think, how can I give rest to my students? And in doing so, I'm giving rest to my families. If you're a coach, you know, you tell the other coaches in the league, we don't play on Sunday. That's just, we don't do that. So let's reschedule. How can you use your influence throughout all of your spheres of authority to give rest? That is what the fourth commandment requires. And one of the things that happens when God's people give rest, one of the things that happen when we obey the fourth commandment in this way is that as the gospel advances through cultures, the Sabbath breaks out everywhere. Every time you start a dishwasher, every time you turn on a water faucet, every time you start your car, that's Sabbath breaking out. That's rest from work that mankind has always just expected to be part of life. You didn't have to hitch up a team of mules to bring you to church today. You didn't have to get up at six o'clock and, and take care of those things. They were, you got in your car and you turned your key and you, you came here. What is that other than rest? That is Sabbath. 
Now you may ask, well, what does all that got to do with the advance of the gospel? This is just advances of technology. What does that got to do with the gospel? It's because as societies are discipled by the church, as the West has been for centuries, we put structures in place that lead to rest and creativity and human success and flourishing. Some of those important things are boundaries around personal property, boundaries around personal time, a work ethic to go invent and innovate and produce. Where there is idolatry, where there's darkness and tyranny and oppression, Sabbath gets shut down and everything is a drudgery. But cultures discipled by the church are always looking for a way to give rest and liberty and healing. It's Christian societies that have given the world hospitals and nursing homes and care for the mentally infirm, care for the disabled, giving rest through care. Remember, Jesus purposely healed on the Sabbath to show that healing is Sabbath. Healing is a form of Sabbath keeping. Healing is not antithetical to the Sabbath. Healing is Sabbath. Properly biblically defined justice, biblically defined liberty and redemption are forms of Sabbath giving. God told Israel to observe Sabbath years so that zero interest loans to the poor were forgiven. That's, God, that's God's commandment. That's what he required. Forgiving debts is a component of rest. Liberty is a component of Sabbath. In a Christian culture, you can't contain Sabbath to one day. It's going to break out everywhere in all kinds of ways. And it's going to continue until the earth is full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Why it's important to take rest, to take off and to worship and rest in Christ on this day is, 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 to, uh, is to help and to, in your life, take dominion over your time under the reign of King Jesus in order that Sabbath continue to break out, in order that rest continue to break out and be part of the greater rest that the Spirit is bringing to the world. And that brings us finally to the last aspect, recreation. If rest is ceasing work, if rest is taking it easy, what is recreation? It's any active participation in creation and enjoying God's good works. The question always comes up when we, when we talk about the Sabbath, we talk about the fourth commandment. What can we do and what can't we do? What is forbidden on the Sabbath? Can we go to the movies? Can we go out to eat? Can we go to a ball game? Well, at various times in history, the church has spoken to the culture to say this or that needs to be curtailed. This is getting out of hand. This is too much. But it seems that insofar as your recreation does not interfere with worship, as long as the principle is always giving rest and you aren't sinning while you're doing it. Of course, you know, this is not a day to, to go commit adultery or to go, you know, uh, engage in filthy habits. That's not Sabbath rest, certainly. As long as you're not sinning, you have the liberty to make it the best day of the week. Whatever that, whatever that means, to make it the best day of the week. We set the tone in worship. We do this deliberately. This is a day of celebration that kicks off a whole week of joy. We sit down in worship and we drink real wine and we eat real bread and we relax with God in his house and we get to sing. Where else do you get to sing? I don't know. Do you ever get to sing anywhere else when you're not with God's people? Not ordinarily. We get to sing here together to rejoice and hear God's word. And then we leave God's house and we take the party to our homes. Today is a day to feast, not to fast. You bring out the best meats and the best desserts and the best drinks. And then if you want to take a nap, do it. If you want to play golf, 
Do it. Take a drive. Go fishing. Play tennis. Visit family and friends. Visit shut-ins. Make it the best, most festivity-filled day of the week. Think actively. How can I maximize the Lord's day for giving rest, for enjoying God's good gifts, for resting from my labors, for helping other people enjoy God's good creation? We keep the Lord's day holy by working hard for six days and then stopping worshiping and resting and sending a clear message to the whole world about who we belong to. Who has a claim on our lives? Who owns our time? You and I, we don't have to plow through seven days a week, 365 days a year, because we know that our food and our provision comes from the Lord. He, he blesses our work. We get enough manna on Saturday before the Sabbath to last two days and your neighbors see it. Your neighbors see your car pull out of the driveway every Sunday morning. And then lots of Sunday afternoons, they see there are kids in your yard uh, playing and screaming, and there's conversations and laughter spilling out of your house. They know that there's something going on there because you have made Sabbath, you have made the Sunday, you made the Lord's Day the happiest day of the week so that your children look forward to it. It's not a drudgery. It's not a pain. It is a joy and it is a delight because this in worship and our life together and the covenant is the happiest place on earth. That's what we're after. And that's how we remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do indeed ask for your grace and your mercy as we continue to learn how to keep your law out of love for you. Father, strengthen us in all of these ways. Continue to bless us and grow us up. And indeed, make Sabbath rest, your rest, break out in all kinds of ways to our culture that is laboring, enslaved under darkness and tyranny and fear. May Sabbath rest break out to our nation and our entire society. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.